song made me think of a, a conversation I had with my boys a while back. I was praying for them and prayed something like, prayed that God would be with them at school tomorrow. And I said, but isn't God everywhere? You know, interrupt me in prayer. Isn't God everywhere? Isn't God present everywhere? I said, yeah, God is present everywhere. But we're not always present to him everywhere. And so nearer my God to thee, I think, that's our prayer this morning, that we would be present to God in the way he's present to us in Jesus Christ. So let's pray in that spirit. God, help us orient ourselves to your present, to, to your presence, the God who is present with us in Jesus Christ. Help us to fix our eyes on him, to turn our heart and our intention toward Jesus to live with open hands, to receive whatever it is that you have to give for, to us today in this life, that we could offer it back up in gratitude, knowing that it's, it's only here for a time and we're just stewards. We're not owners. We don't possess anything. It's all yours. It's all yours. We're just your stewards and we want to steward well. We want to be present to you in the way you're present to us. So give us the gift of faith today that that enables us to be present to you. Give us a sense of your awareness and fix our heart and our hope in the truth of Jesus. Christ died for the forgiveness of our sins, raised on the third day, back to life, with the promise that we'll be raised with him to the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me start here, actually. 27,375. The psalmist tells us to teach, says, teach us to number our days, this prayer. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So that's the number. That, that's the number of days the average person will live, 27,375. Now, originally, uh, I was going to ask you how many days you got left, but I didn't want to put you on the defensive, have everybody folding their arms this early in the sermon, so... <laughs> Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah, so, but, but what I want us to do, just as we begin, I want everyone to imagine that we're all exactly average today, that this is the number of days that we have in this life. And, and now I want you to imagine that it is day 27,376, which means... Last night, let's say sometime around midnight, you slid down from a dreamless night right off the edge of life into the void, into that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns, as Shakespeare described it. You didn't have any last words. You didn't get to say, I'm sorry. You didn't get to say, I forgive you. You didn't get to say goodbye because death came to you in the way death typically comes. It came like a thief and it took all of those opportunities away. 
all the opportunities that life affords you day after day after day. Death came and took it away last night. All the things you wanted to just put off one more day, to put off till tomorrow. But as you know, death comes and takes all our tomorrows away, takes everything away. And all that's left of you, that's left of us, is a memory. It's a memory of us. And it's not even, it's not even your memory. It's not your memory of you that's left when you're gone with all its excuses and self-justifications. It's everybody else's memory of you. That's, that's all that's left. All of our memories don't get a say in the court of what our life's meaning and legacy will be after we die. That's for everybody else to judge. And, and we, don't have, we don't even have a memory because it's day 27,376. And all that's left of us now are the moments that we've shared and the memories we've shaped with others. That's it. That's it. That's all that's left of us. So my question, my question is, what would you have done differently yesterday had you known it was your last day of life? Would you have done anything differently? We've all heard some kind of inspirational speech about living today as if it, you were, as if it were your last, uh, seizing the day, carpe diem, and invariably living today as if it were your last leads us to think about squeezing all we can out of the day, squeezing all of our experience that we can out of the day uh, um, because we know we won't have any opportunities for experiences. I'm going skydiving if tomorrow's my last day, you know. <laughs> but, but I don't think that's the best question that helps reveal the true value of today. It is the question, I think, that I just asked. What if, not, not if today were your last day, you die tomorrow, but what if yesterday were your last day? How would you have lived? How would you have lived differently? Because when the question is asked that way, we don't, we don't think about squeezing all we can out of this world. We start thinking about what it is we're going to leave to this world. And that is the most important question. That is the question that will reveal the value of this day, the opportunities of this day, when we, when we think of it in terms of what we will leave behind. We stop thinking in terms of our experiences of the day, and we start thinking, our experiences of life, skydiving, you know. We start thinking about the memories of our life, the memories that we will shape, and, and the memories that we will leave with others. If I die Tomorrow, I'm, you know, having a heyday today. But, but if I died yesterday and I could have that day back one more day, I don't care about the experiences and whether I enjoyed that day. I don't care about, I, 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 all I care about, rather, is, is the memories that I left, about making memories the last if I died yesterday and I could have that day back, I'm going to wake up early with my wife and have coffee on the couch. Good coffee, by the way. One last time. 
I'm going to take, I'm going to declare a no screen day for the whole family, okay? I'm going to take my kids out in the woods and I'm going to tell them some things that really matter. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. I'm going to tell them about themselves in light of Jesus. I'm going to tell them about the grace of God and their desperate need for it. I'm going to tell my my boys to be strong and courageous. And they've got a little sister that they need to look after. She's strong in her own right, though. I'm going to tell my daughter how beautiful she is and that every little boy is a frog, 99% of them. And most of them are not worth her time. (laughs) I'm going to make a great feast and spare no expense. I'm going to kill the fatted calf and make ribeyes for everyone. Reverse seared ribeyes at that. That's right. (laughs) I'm going to tell my kids bedtime stories. And this time when they ask for just one more, I'm going to say yes. And I'm going to say yes again and again until I'm completely out of time. I am going to invest my time in yesterday. And, and I am, I'm going, if all that I have is yesterday, I'm going to shape that day as much as I can. I'm going to pack it full of moments with others where I've shaped memories with others that are indelible and that last. Something they can hang on to as a guiding light for their life of a father's love and a husband's love as a witness to God the Father and Christ the bridegroom. Because the more they can see their God and Savior reflected in my life, the more that that last day will help lead them to a reunion of an eternal day where I actually get to be with them again. You see? And and that's what really matters in the end. In 10,000 years, what will matter? Right? If you want to know what is valuable in your life, give it the 10,000-year test. What will matter in 10,000 years from now? That will start to change how you look at your time. And in, in this life, in your loved ones, eventually the only thing that's going to be left of you is your memory. And eventually, in 10,000 years from now, the only thing that's going to be left of anyone, of any of us, is that we are just going to be memories in the mind of God. But this is the same God who has promised us resurrection in Jesus Christ. And so we are called then to align our lives with the one who calls us to follow him, to take up our cross, to follow him, to save our lives and not lose it, to, to find our lives and not forsake it. So turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We are entering a, a new series for the season of Lent. And we're going to be on this theme throughout the the series of learning to live backward. Living light in light of the end is the idea. But uh, before we jump into the text this morning, um, I want to draw your attention to to a few resources that we've provided for you uh, for Lent. 
Uh, first of all, Lent, if, you don't, if you're unfamiliar with Lent, Lent is the 40-day season that leads up to and culminates with Easter, so Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but the path to resurrection, as we know by watching Jesus and what led him to resurrection, is, is, a, is a path that is riddled with suffering and death. It was for him, and it will be for all of us at some level. One truth that we all have in common is we all will suffer, we all will die. That's one thing that makes us human, and, and we have that much in common at least. Uh, and so following Jesus to resurrection is a call for us to take up our cross. And what does that really mean? Well, we're going to explore it throughout this season of Lent. So the season of Lent de deals with the uh, cheerful themes of suffering and death, okay? And these are the themes that we tend to uh, try to avoid um, most in our life. But the fact is, if these themes are avoided, we are just avoiding the inevitable, we, we are avoiding the one thing that we can be certain we're going to have to deal with. And if we don't have a faith that can deal with suffering and death, that can endure through suffering in the face of death, then we don't have a faith that will last. It will be shattered. And so it, we do well to prepare for the inevitable because it is inevitable. And so this season is about a preparation for the inevitable. For the fact that we are all faced deathward in this life. We are all faced toward death in this life. But in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we face our death, we see his. And when we see his death, we see life on the other side of death. So I want to just draw your attention to a couple of resources that we have to help you enter the season. The first is um, the Hymns of Lent uh, booklet. Uh, these are, where are these? I expect to see everyone with them. At the connection point. So when you leave here, if you haven't grabbed one of these already, when you go out to the lobby, go to the connection point and make sure you grab one of these, these hymns of Lent. They are, uh, it's a devotional uh, that, it just has six devotionals in it, one for each Sunday in Lent, and they are devotionals based on the, the hymns of Lent that Eddie's doing again this year. He, he started doing this for us last year, right? And uh, it was received very well, these beautiful ancient hymns that the body of Christ throughout hundreds and thousands of years has sung together uh, are being echoed in our sanctuary each Sunday. And these devotionals are based on this. And each staff person, uh, each church staff member has contributed to a, de a devotional to this. So that will, that will help you to that end. And then you would have noticed if you picked up a bulletin that we put in it uh, one of these um, prayer prayer cards, these prayer guides. And also, by the way, you can get a bigger version. Oh, I thought it was bigger. It's not really that much bigger. There's also a version in the back of the Hymns of Lent, so uh, you can find it there too. These are prayer guides adapted from the Daily Examine. It's basically a, a prayer method that's been used for thousands of years, especially during the uh, season of Lent. And it's a prayer method that uses your memory. Okay, so, so it's, a, it's a way of inviting God into your thoughts, into your memories of, of a given day. So at the, you use it at the end of a day. 
And, and at the end of the day, you basically ask God to guide you in a brief reflection on the day as he saw it, right? Because we go throughout our day as we see it. We go throughout our interactions at work as we see it. We go throughout our conversations and debates and discussions and arguments with people, our wife, and with people uh, throughout the day as we see it. And at the end of the day, this helps us ask God, how did you see that interaction? How did you see that discussion? How, did you see how wrong my wife was, God? How, how did you see that? You know? And so we ask God, it's a way of asking God to help us reflect on the day as he saw it, in grace and in truth. Or maybe I should say in truth and then in grace. Because usually we have to be shown the truth and then we'll see our need for grace, right? In, in truth and in grace. And that means inviting him to remind you the, the truth, the good and the bad, and our, you know, complicity in the bad or the good. And, uh, you know, our loving interaction with families uh, and friends, the arguments, the patterns of our thought and attitudes throughout the day. Again, it, it's just asking God to bring to the surface, assuming that God will bring to the surface. God will be there and respond to you in prayer, and maybe he'll bring to light something. This has happened to me a number of times. Something that I didn't even, I, I would have overlooked and never even remembered. But you ask God, how did you see this day? And, and maybe he's showing like an attitude or disposition I had toward another person. I didn't even register. And then I'm going to have to follow up on that tomorrow. Right? Um, in fact, we did this at a, we had a few friends uh, for dinner the other night. And we did this as a group. We went through this prayer method as a group. And it was, it was such a powerful experience to do in community. See, you don't have to do it alone. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with your family. You can do it with friends. We did, it was eight of us, and we did this together. And the thing that was brought to mind, actually, Kelly and I, my wife and I thought we had, God brought to mind the same thing for both of us. It was a, it was a time that we shared uh, with our kids playing this game uh, called, what's the game called? Parent versus kids. It's a wonderful game. You can beat up on those kids. No. Um, but we, at one point in the game, Radley did a puppet show for us. And it was a, that was a thing that was brought to mind. So it's not all negative. But what does that do? It actually, it, it brings to mind the things that God cares about. You know, these, the, the important things in life. And that helps us, that helps orient us to have a better, to live a better day today and tomorrow and to play more board games with our kids, less screen time with the kids, right? See what I'm saying? It brings to the surface the thing that God loves, that God cares about. And, and it helps orient us to actually live differently tomorrow. And so uh, I, I hope you will avail yourself of these reasons. The, the, this prayer method takes about 10 minutes. And it can actually change your life if you let God change your life through it. Okay? So I, I just encourage you to avail yourself of these. They, they will help you enter into the season. And there's nothing magical about the church seasons. They are a tool. They help us enter into the story that we're really truly a part of. Because the world is telling us we're part of this consumerist marketplace story. It's constantly what we're being fed through advertisers and through internet, through all of that. We need a different story, and we have one. And it's one that gets clouded and is cloudy because of the secular 
culture that we live in. And this helps you say, I live in the story of Jesus. And Jesus Christ is the, the, true, the only true reality that is determinate in my life and in my future. And I want to start to live and, and, and allow my life to be shaped accordingly. So the more you enter into the season, the more you'll be mindful of Jesus and, and see your life in the light of Jesus, which is what we all want. There's grace and truth in that light, okay? And so, and we can do this together. Like I said, it's, it's, it's fun actually to do it in community. And it gives an opportunity for confession and, you know, sharing uh, together. So, okay. Um, all right. So, Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes 3. Um, and really, we're just going to focus on one verse, Okay. Uh, chapter 3, verse 20, um, and I, I reduced it to one verse because this introduction is already like 15 minutes long, so to spare you guys a three-hour sermon, okay? All right, uh, okay, here we go. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Ecclesiastes 3.20. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust, and to dust all return. Ecclesiastes, uh, um, more than any book, wants us to live our lives in light of death. To live with the end in mind. That's what this series is going to be about. How, how does our life change when we stop Avoiding death. Uh, th- there's one of the great books of the of the last few decades was a, a book called The Denial of Death, which was who, which was written by Ernest Becker, and the whole book shows that Western society is a is a society and a culture of progress, and it is one collective attempt to deny the inevitability of life, a way of Avoiding the fact of life, that all conclude, all, every life concludes in death. And the book of Ecclesiastes wants, more than any book in the Bible, us to live our lives in the light of death and allow that to raise to the surface what truly matters in this life, what is truly valuable in this life, and what truly isn't. And, and it's captured in this phrase, so the title of this of this series, Memento Mori, Memento Mori. It literally means remember your death or remember to die is actually the most literal translation. Remember to die. That seems like an odd reminder, doesn't it? Considering the fact that none of us really are going to have much to say in the matter (laughs) and all of us will certainly prove equal to the task when it presents itself, won't we? But remember to die. In ancient Rome, military generals returning victoriously from war would be ceremoniously paraded through the streets in chariots. And and in this great celebration, they were inhabiting the praise of the people. And they were at the center of human praise, the highlight of their life. And so, to temper their delusions of grandeur, They would place a slave in the back of the chariot whose sole responsibility was to whisper over and over into the general's ear, memento mori. 
Remember to die. Remember to die. It was a way of saying, enjoy this moment while it lasts. But remember, this moment will not last. This moment doesn't last. No moments last. Beauty doesn't last. Popularity doesn't last. People's praise doesn't last. Your money, your possessions, your power don't last. Your possessions, your position, it doesn't last. Nothing lasts in this world that is passing away. All go to one place. All are from the dust. And to dust all return. Remember it. Don't forget it. Don't forget about death in the pursuits of life. Because if you forget about your death, you will forget how to live. As a mortal, as a, not immortal, as a mortal. There is a way to live. There is a way for mortals to live. And it is not the way that you would live if you were immortal. And we tend to orient our lives as though everything were going to last forever. And then we become disappointed when none of it does. And so you, if, if you forget how to die, you forget about death, you forget how to live. You forget what's truly valuable in life. You begin to fall in love with the, all the wrong things. Start to treasure the wrong things. What Jesus said when he said, don't store up treasures on earth, but store up treasures in heaven, treasures that last. You see, there is, there is a way of living that connects you with a future that will last, that will abide. That, that can actually be enjoyed here and now and then and there. And so he's saying, if you forget about death, if you forget that you are dust, that you're from the dust, and to dust you shall return, you will treasure things that lead you away from God and God's will. That will lead you away from, from loving God and loving others. And ultimately, it will lead to your disappointment to trying to hold on to the things of this world that are passing away. This is the warning John gives in, in the book of First John. He, he warns us of, like the country song says, looking for love in all the wrong places, and, and says, it, it, don't look for love in places that are passing away. Be anchored in the love of the Father and pursuing the will of God. He says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, pleasure, the desires of the eyes, possessions, right? And the pride of life, my discretion in pursuing my pleasures and possessions, my will be done, not God's will be done, right? So the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, these are not from the Father, but are from the, the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. That's a peculiar thing to say, isn't it? The world is passing away along with its desires. What does that mean? The desires are passing away. I'll tell you what it means. You don't desire the same thing now that you did in high school, do you? right? And if you cling and you, you make it your whole life pursuit to pursue the things that you wanted to in high school, you're going to be really disappointed when you hit 40 like I did last year. 
okay? <laughs> the desires change and the opportunities change throughout life. And it's all because this world is passing away along with its desires. And, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. There are two things in this text that abide forever. The love of the Father and the will of God. The love of the Father and the will of God. You see, remembering to die for a Christian is not a morbid or a cold, like, stoic philosophy. Ordinarily, death is that event that takes everything away from us passively. I mean, it's, it's going to take it out of our cold, dead hands whether we like it or not. But remembering to die, so what does it mean then to remember to die? Again, this odd phrase. Well, it, it, it looks at death as something that we do actively, not passively. So rather than allowing death to take away everything we're trying to hold on to, remembering to die is about the active discipline of letting go. Of letting go. Of, of living with open hands. Of living a life of grace, receiving grace and generosity and giving grace and generosity. It is living with open hands to receive the joys and pleasures of life. There's not anything wrong with pleasure or even possessions, as long as you know that you're a steward of possessions and not an owner, okay? God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein, Psalm 24, 1. God owns it all. We're stewards. So that, but there's not, and there's nothing wrong with pleasures. Thank God for pleasures and the joys of this life. But living with open hands actually enables us to enjoy the joys of life. Because joy is a direct result of gratitude and not possessions. You have joy from your gratitude about your possessions, not from the possessions themselves. They're empty. They have nothing to offer you. But you can be grateful and, and, and joy is a product of gratitude. And so living with open hands is not clamping down on anything as though it's yours. Living with open hands is about living living with gratitude from the God who gives all, the Father of lights from whom every good gift comes, as James says. So that when they, and then when they are taken away, because all will be taken away, right? I mean, it, it will. But when they're taken away from us, we won't become embittered and resentful toward life and toward God. It's being able to say, Right? Right? Because if you hold on to it, when it starts to go, you will start to become embittered. It, you will think you're entitled to it. You will become embittered and resentful. And there is no joy in bitterness and resentfulness. It destroys your soul and it destroys your relationships to live like that. You see what I mean? How remembering to die, it, it's, it's, not, it's actually the key to finding joy in this life. To live with Light, lightness of step and open hands. It's being able to say with, with Job, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And this, he said, if you remember, after losing virtually everything, his loved ones, his livestock, his possessions, which is... Brutal. I mean, Job's life, if you want to, 
If you're feeling too cheery one day, just go read the book of Job, you know. But we need to, thank God, thank God it's not, we don't have lives like Job typically, right? But we, should, we shouldn't forget that, that it's possible. I mean, think of all the people in Syria right now who are experiencing what Job experienced. We're not guaranteed anything, right? And, and we need to listen to people like Job for their perspective on life, a life where we're not guaranteed anything, because Job helps us see life in the face of death and loss and, and, and see that all of life is a gift. We did, you didn't ask to be alive. You didn't pull yourself up by your brute straps and walk out of your mother's womb triumphantly, did you? No. You, you don't even remember. You just, one day you woke up and here you were, crying, you know, I peed in my doctor's face apparently. You know, I just, I just was thrown into this world and as a gift, I didn't, add, that's a true story, it really is. Uh, but, but, but all of life is a gift. We didn't ask for it, but we were given it. We came with nothing, we were given everything, and eventually though, we will lose everything and we will leave with nothing. Can we just be honest? Can we just look at life for what it really is? And still be able to say, this is the goal, that we would still, in the end of all of it, still be able to say this, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Because, and it's not just, it is about glorifying God with our life, that is the chief end of man, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But it's not only that, because if you can still say, blessed be the name of the Lord, you can live a life without bitterness and resentfulness, right? You can still live a life of gratitude. Because if, if, you, if you can't find gratitude in all that you're given and all that's taken in a way, you will never find joy in either. You won't. All that we possess in this life, like I said, we possess as stewards. We possess as stewards. So, so we have to live with open hands to avoid that resentfulness and bitterness that turns us away from God when he takes back all that he owns. Because he will. It's a fallen world. God's not okay with the world as it is. The reason God is taking all of it back is because he, he's not okay with a world of sin and ultimately, therefore, it is a world of death. In other words, God is not okay with a world full of injustice and a world full of pornography and rape and abuse and hate. God's not okay with this world. So he's giving us life as an opportunity in this world and he gives us a promise of a world that will be restored where sin is judged, where we will be given life in a kingdom of righteousness and peace. That's the promise. A king under the lordship of Jesus Christ. He's promised all of that. And those who will enter the kingdom, they're not the ones who figure out how to live perfectly or righteously before God in this life. It's the ones who will bend the knee and say, I confess that I'm not a good Lord of my own life. Jesus Christ is Lord. And confess that to the world publicly and make it the, the banner of our lives. We don't make good Lords. And we have made a wreck of this world. And this is God's good world. And we want God to restore it. And so God's not okay with this world as it is. He created it to be good, and we've made a mess of it. 
And so he's calling us then to, to recognize he's going to take it all back. But eventually, he's going to give it back again. Right? So he, God is going to take all this back from us. Eventually, our children and our children's children, he's going to take them back too. And, and there could be no worse news than that, except that the good news remains that in t- either 10,000 years or 10 billion years, when there's nothing even left of the world, as the great hymn says, when the sun forbears to shine, the God who calls me here below will be forever mine. Right? That, that, that we live with the end in mind because, like I said at the beginning, when we see our, our own death, we, we don't see ourselves alone in death. We see the God who came with us, Emmanuel, in life and in death to, to, to save us from death, to save us from our sin, to save us from death, to bring us out the other side. So when you live with the end in mind, there, there are two ways of looking at it. Uh, uh, living with the end in mind is both looking at our death so, memento mori, remember to die. But as Christians, we remember, when we remember our death, we remember Christ's death. We don't just think of death alone. We think of it in light of the gospel, in light of Jesus Christ. So, summary, okay? For those who like bullet points. <laughs> Forgetting our death. This is the consequences. This is the, 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 the negatives of what happens when we forget about death and we try to avoid death. And instead, we try to pursue the desires of the flesh alone and the desires of the eyes alone according to the pride of life, the pride that says my will be done and not God's will be done. Because remember, there's two things that last forever in that text, the love of the Father and the will of God. But forgetting our death leads to resentment and bitterness, right? Because death's gonna take start taking life away and and loved ones away and possessions away. And when that happens, if we have forgotten death and we have have not lived with open hands, we will live with resentment and bitterness. And there's nothing that destroys the soul and relationships like resentment and bitterness. It leads to us to attempt to satisfy our desire and our will rather than God's desires and God's will. God has desires for your life. Okay? Okay? And the, the big difference, and in fact, God's desire for your life are, is, it does line up with what you ultimately desire for your life. What you ultimately desire for your life is love, joy, and peace. Every, that's, that's what we all desire. We just have wayward means of trying to get love, joy, and peace. And God has a way of getting that, that is actually by sacrificing your will, uh, not, not pursuing your will. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But, but... But forgetting your death leads to attempting to satisfy your desire, your will, rather than God's desire, God's will. I'll come back to that. And then it leads to trying to hold on to a world that is ever passing away. And, And it just leads to a life of disappointment, therefore. Remembering our death or remembering to die, uh, by the way, doesn't just come from, uh, oh, actually I do have this slide. Okay. Remembering our death leads to the peace of living with open hands. You know, if you, if you recognize that everything is a gift and you don't clamp down on it, 
There's so much peace in this life because you won't be anxious about losing so much, right? So much of the joy that we're robbed from in this life doesn't come from losing stuff. It comes from the fear of losing stuff. And the fear of losing stuff, whether loved ones or possessions or a job or whatever, the fear of it just sucks the joy right out of your life. And, and to, there, there is infinite peace that comes with living with open hands and letting God be the sovereign over the universe and not trying to be that yourself. And remembering our death leads to short-term sacrifice to do God's will, but long-term satisfaction in God's will. So, for example, uh, a man who, who wants to follow the desires of his flesh in pursuit of another man's wife, that's short-term gratification. Unwilling to sacrifice his will for God's will. Uh, but he's pursuing instant gratification, short-term gratification. The will of God leads another man to sacrifice his desires the desires of his flesh, to do God's will, which is to love only one wife, right? Short-term sacrifice. Sacrifice those short-term desires. And there is, there is long-term satisfaction in God's will, in God's will, even when it comes through short-term sacrifice, even when it comes by what Jesus said, denying yourself and taking up your cross and not pursuing another man's wife, Right? And, and the proof of it is in the Christmas photo of either men 20, men 20 years down the road, right? 20 years down the road. One fractured family, everyone just forced to be there if there even is a family Christmas photo. Everyone's got strained smiles on their faces. And then the other photo, it's a life of peace, a life well lived, a life with integrity, where the family's together, loves one another, right? There is far more satisfaction in short-term sacrifice than in long-term regret. God's will be done, not my will. And so, uh, as Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, right? He's saying, remember to die daily. Take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfoots himself or his soul? Forfoots his soul. So, so, uh, oh, uh, so, Remembering our death keeps us from losing our souls and leads us to finding true life in a kingdom that lasts. Storing up treasures at last. So I'll just end with, what are the treasures that last? What are the treasures that, that last? Storing up treasures that last. I'm just going to suggest, suggest two things. To store up treasures that last, it, it, it comes by not trying to shape better tomorrow. I, I understand like the, the, the desire for progress and the development of civilization and all of that. Building, you know, helping build society. But does it pass the 10,000 year test? Where's America going to be in 10,000 years? Right? It will fall like every other empire has fallen. Sorry, I love my country, but that's the fact of the matter. What will last is the kingdom of God. 
right? And, th and there is a way of, of living in, in such a way that you store up treasures from that kingdom. And that comes when you're not, you're not focused on shaping a better tomorrow, but shaping a better yesterday, right? It's about, remember how we began. It's day 27,276. And you know as well as I do that the only thing that matters now is the memory we've left the world. And eventually the only thing that's going to be left is memories in the mind of God. And he's going to use those memories to determine whether we are restored into that eternal kingdom that began the day Jesus Christ was born in this earth. In his person was the kingdom of God because in his person was the king, is the king. And so we're called then to shape a better yesterday. What's it look like to shape better memories that we leave to this world? Memories are like momentum that we leave this world with. Ask anyone who's, I mean, just think about the way your parents still influence you, even if they're dead and gone. It's because of memories they left with you leave momentum in your life. They forge paths and patterns that you follow or you run from, you know. But, but they are, you, you have to deal with them. Uh, and they do have a, a, a lasting influence. And so forming a better yesterday is what we're, that's how, you, that's how you're properly oriented to, to storing up treasures that last. And how, so how do you do that? Really, just two ways. There's two ways to, to store up treasures that last. You share moments together and you make memories together. You mold memories. I, um, just the other night... We were playing, I told you about this game that we played. Well, I pulled one of the cards, the way that you play the game is you, you pull a card and one of the categories of cards is would I rather, rather than the game would you rather. You say would I rather, and then the kids, in this case, because it's me and my wife against the kids, in the game and in life, by the way, <laughs> we, you draw this card and you read the card and then the kids try to guess what, what you would say, okay? In this one, it was just poignant because... The card I drew was, would I rather lose all my money or all my memories? Now, that's, that's a test for a dad, right? What do you really care about? And you see my kids debating over it, okay? I was thankful that they were right. You could take my money. But if you take my memories, that's all I have. That's all that I care about in the end. If you take my memories, I don't even know your name anymore. I don't, have, I don't know who you are. I don't have, I, I, don't, I don't remember, I, I don't have that, that past vision of rocking my daughter to sleep at night, you know. And, and taking my boys up mountains and catching the first fish with them. And the first time they said, I love you. And, you know, I don't have my proposal to my wife. I don't have the first time that we led two people to Jesus together. It was kind of our first date. It became a date in retrospect, we realized. Amen. You know, if you take my memories, you take everything. And, and you see, molding memories, shaping memories only comes by sharing moments. I can have memories by myself, and that's important too. Because we have to invest in our own thought patterns and way of thinking. And alone time's important, especially for introverts like me, okay? But, but the only thing I'm leaving this world comes from sharing moments with people so I can shape memories. 
And that changes, that changes the way I live. That is about shaping a better, not a better yesterday, but a better, uh, not a better tomorrow, but shaping a better yesterday. So my question for you is, what do your yesterdays look like? And, and this shouldn't, if, if, the, if this makes you feel guilty or condemned in any way, just hear this, beloved of God. Jesus transformed all yesterdays by the cross. Those who believe in Jesus, remember what it says. In Christ there is no condemnation. Your past, all your sins of the past, they have been nailed to the cross. That's what Paul says in Colossians 3. All, your record of debt was nailed to the cross, disarming the authorities, the, disarming the accuser against you. So we've all got yesterdays that we're ashamed of, but we don't have to be ashamed in the light of God's grace. And hear this too then. If you're still here, you still have time, right? You, you, can't let, you can't let the time that was spent yesterday drag you down for the rest of your life. You are called forward now to redeem the times, as Paul says, to redeem the times, and you do that by building better yesterdays, depositing in the memory banks of your loved ones moments together that you share with, the, with, each, with each other that are full of your love, your grace, your I'm sorry's, your I forgive you's, your allowing Christ to be Lord over your life and stop trying to Lord over yours and everybody else's. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and I'll have the worship and prayer team come forward. We'll Sing one last song together. And, uh, and I look forward to walking straight headlong into death with you this Lenten season. But we don't. The beautiful thing is, though death is the end of life, Christ is the end of death. And one day, death itself will have to die when Jesus comes back to raise us all to the land of the living in an unshakable kingdom that will not pass away, that abides forever. Let's pray in that light. Father, we thank you for, as you call it in the book of Hebrews, an unshakable kingdom that we are a part of. A kingdom that can't be shaken or troubled or crumbled by this world or collapsed by this world. A world that constantly passes away, but your kingdom only advances it has been advancing for 2,000 years. It has stretched across the globe. And we are all here as citizens, those who confess Jesus as Lord. And I pray for those who have not confessed Jesus as Lord. That you'd, as you say in your word, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. The word of faith that we proclaim. So that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What that's saying and saying the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. If you've never confessed Jesus as Lord, but you feel it burning in your heart, it's because God's putting that word and that conviction in you. It's because God is calling you to himself. It's because God wants you to be a part of his kingdom and you need to humble yourself, bend your knee before Jesus and confess him as Lord. And so I pray for anyone here who's not made a confession and is not given their lives, surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus, I pray for them to have a strong conviction that does not leave and that you would bring them to their knees in love for it's the kindness of God that calls us to repentance, God's word says. And so God, would you send your spirit to swell that conviction, call forth 
people into your kingdom as sons and daughters of the king. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was just, uh, we just asked to pray for a family who asked for prayer. I don't know this family. I don't know uh, the circumstances surrounding the prayer other than a a two-year-old little girl died last night. It's the Leah family. Maybe some of you know them. And, uh, and they've asked, they asked Kyle, someone who goes here, to ask for prayer. So I don't know if that means they don't have a church family or they don't know anyone else to ask for prayer, but we will certainly be their family and pray for them. Um, and we pray knowing that this is the worst in a fallen world, the death of a child, of a two-year-old little girl. We pray knowing what Jesus said to such as children belong the kingdom of heaven. Don't ever believe the lie that there are any children in hell. That is not true. Jesus himself said it. It belongs to them. That's why we got to become like children if we're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. So know that first. And now let's enter into a moment of prayer for this family. That they would enter into that kingdom where reunion is possible, where hope is possible, where they will grieve, but they won't grieve as those without hope, as God's word says. So let's lift up the Leah family as this extended family of God. Lord, we do lift up this family, the Leah family, and hold them before your throne as our maker and judge, but Greatest of all, that our maker and judge is also father of all. The one who wants to call all as children. We know that children, this little girl, belongs in your kingdom and in your embrace. And that you love children. And Father, I I pray, Lord, for this family, that they would come to know the God who is father, who receives all children back to himself. We pray, Lord, that if they don't have faith... In Jesus, that you would use this horrible acts, this whatever happened, you would use this horrible situation and you would use it to call the whole family to yourself, that people would come to be saved through it. And so that this story would end as a great testimony, whether in this life or in the next, of how one little girl's death led to a reunion of a whole family with that little girl and with Jesus forever in the kingdom of God. And so we pray that this would be a redemptive story in the end, not to dismiss the horrible nature of it. And we pray for them as they grieve that the presence of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus would be to them as palpable as their next meal, as the air they breathe. We pray for the presence of Jesus to take them through this horrific season. Not that it really will ever end as a season, but that there would be healing and hope in this season of death. It's a season we're all in. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. Thank you for praying and continue to pray for them as you're led. Okay? And as you go and as we confront death. That's what Jesus did. He confronted death actively. He didn't let death take everything passively.
And he didn't tell us to be crucified. He said, take up your cross. He calls us to actively face reality for what it is. But as we do that, we can do it by fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus as you go. The author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. There was joy still ahead of him. There was a joy of tomorrow ahead of him as he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Go under his lordship and in his grace. Amen.